Mary is uh, in the uh, lecture and getting ready to share with you the scripture for today. But I want to give you a little bit of context for you before you hear this read. Um, the prophet Jeremiah has been giving a word of warning to the people of Israel. They have been living in the strength of their own kingdom, but their unfaithfulness to God was beginning to weaken their kingdom. And Jeremiah was prophesying to them that they needed to change their ways, but they didn't. And the enemy, the Babylonians, came and defeated their armies and entered into the holy city and ransacked the temple and then sent the uh, Jewish community out into an exile, far away from their land, scattered them so that they could no longer be the force and the power and the faith they once were. All this happened about 590 years before Christ. But as the people were living in exile and going through this deep spiritual and emotional and political crisis, Prophet Jeremiah offers to them now not a word of warning, but a message of hope. I want you to hear these words as Mary reads them now to you, and then think about how these exiles would have heard these words. For thus says the Lord, Only when Babylon's seventy years are completed will I visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. Then when you call upon me and come and pray to me, I will hear you. When you search for me, you will find me if you seek me with all your heart. I will let you find me, says the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be be to God. God. Thank you, Mary. Do you have a brief word of prayer with me? Loving God, we ask you that in this moment your spirit would move within our hearts and our minds, helping us to be open to what you need us to take away from this moment. If the words of my mouth and messages that we bring to you and offer to God's people are worthy, we pray that their messages will stick. Whatever happens in the next few minutes, we pray it will be according to your glory for your purpose. Fill us up that we might be faithful disciples. We pray this in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. I'm going to make several statements right now, and I'm going to invite you to please respond simply by raising your hands to the statement. The first one. I believe the Patriots are going to win the Super Bowl. Okay. All right. I believe the Atlanta Falcons are going to win the Super Bowl. I couldn't care less about the Super Bowl. I care more about the commercials than the game. God cares about who wins the Super Bowl. Now, you and I both have to be honest about this. If the Lions were in the Super Bowl, our answer would change, because if the Lions were in the Super Bowl, it would be an act of divine intervention. We would care. 
And before the night is over, either a player or a coach will give God thanks for letting them win the Super Bowl. Will that happen? Yeah. I begin with these statements because in this culture, we need to acknowledge that the Super Bowl has theological implications. There will be those who believe God couldn't care less about a football game. But there will also be those today, particularly if it's close in the fourth quarter, who will pray to God for a completion or a stop or a successful field goal. You know it's true, right? Because there are Spartans and Wolverines in this room who have prayed to God in the same moments. Am I right? If you'd gone to Duke, we'd just reach over and ask God to help out. But it's a whole other story. I'll explain that to you later. That's all right. Now, knowing those things are true, would you not also agree with, agree with me that from those thank yous to God, it's a very short line to believing that being in the Super Bowl or winning the Super, Super Bowl is a part of God's plan. And while you may believe that God doesn't care about a football game tonight or in any other time, for many the idea that God has a very specific plan in our life is in fact a very, very commonly held understanding. So let me ask you now the obvious question. How many of you believe God has a plan for your life? How specific is that plan, I wonder? Is it to be found in the big moments of our life, in the, in the crossroad moments, those you know, five moments of decision-making in our life that affect the rest of our journey? Or is it found in every given moment? Everything I do or don't do is a part of that plan or not. How can I know what the plan is for my life? I'm going to be honest with you. I have often in my life, in fact most of my life, been uncomfortable with language that I've heard used about God's plan. There seems to me to be so much in the world that gets attached to a supposed plan of God that I think God has nothing to do with. That includes times when we give God thanks for the weather, because whatever it was, whether it was a sunny day or a storm, it worked out to our advantage, to how lovers meet, to who gets voted into office, and that one time when God was truly interceding that there was a bigger crisis pulling the officer away before he could give me a speeding ticket. Sometimes what has been described to be part of God's plan has offended me, and worse. This includes people telling me when they knew that my brother received abusive medical care in 1948 and has spent the rest of his life with mental disability, to believe that somehow God made that happen because it helped me become the man I now am. And also in the multiple moments I've been with people of faith who tried to witness what they believe by saying to a grieving parent, their child died and it was a part of God's plan. The question about whether God has a plan for our lives and whether it is possible for me to figure it out to know what it is and when it is and what's happening 
has been a struggle of my journey. The passage today tells us that Jeremiah, after giving words of warning to the people of Israel over and over again, which they didn't listen to, and now in the time of their deep crisis, Jeremiah does come on behalf of God and offers a word of comfort. A word of comfort is simply this. God has plans for you, and even in your exile, God will be with you, and God will deliver you in 70 years. You willing to wait 70 years? But God is intentionally involved in this moment, and God will be with you. And talking about this passage from Jeremiah, which it's interesting to me to discover, uh, leading up to this Sunday and then several times already since the 9 o'clock worship service, a number of people have talked to me about how Jeremiah 29.11 is a passage that really matters to them a lot. But in conversation about what this means when God says what he says here. And one of those people I was having this conversation with was Deacon Laura. And we were talking about it. And she had something to reflect about this passage that I decided I wanted her to tell you rather than me tell you what she said. So Reverend Laura, if you come forward and share with them what you shared with me. When I was 12... My father left and divorced my mother. It might not have been so bad if I had been expecting it, but it was a huge shock. It felt like the rug got pulled out from under me because my life turned upside down. We had to move, so I lost my friends, my school, my church, my home. And it felt like I lost my family because my father moved across the state and my mother had to work seven part-time jobs to make ends meet, so she was never home. (laughs) The worst thing I think I lost, um, though, was my sense of security. Before that, I just thought that life was fine, but after, I didn't know if things would ever be fine again. Adolescence isn't an easy time anyway, (laughs) right? So um, those growing up years, for me, were pretty rough. Both my parents remarried, which just added complications. So I was depressed most of the time. But I'd been given the gift of faith in God. And there was one scripture verse that got me through, through my whole adolescence. That's Jeremiah 29, 11. The version I learned was, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. I knew, even then, that Jeremiah was speaking to the exiled Jews, but I took that verse as my very own. It helped me so much to believe that even though my life was a mess of confusion and uh, anger and hopelessness, that God had something meaningful out there ahead of me, something good. And it did give me hope. As helpful as this verse was, however, for me, it almost did me in. Also, when I was a teenager, I felt called into ordained ministry. I can explain exactly where I was and how I felt and how it happened. I didn't hear a voice or see a vision, but I felt an absolute certainty that God wanted me to go into ordained ministry. For reasons too complicated to explain this morning, 
I said no to that call. I said no to God. And every time I would look at that verse in Jeremiah, I would realize that I had ruined God's plan for my life. Ruined it because I said no. I believed that never in my life would I be in the will of God again. Never would I be living out the plan God had for me because I had ruined the plan. The guilt I felt was overwhelming, but I was too stubborn to change my mind. And the painful experiences I had been through that prompted me to say no were just too hurtful to change my mind. Instead, I worked feverishly to do things for God that would make up for it somehow, even though it wasn't what God had asked me to do. By this time, I was an adult, and I served on a million church committees. I was like the most active church volunteer in my church. I was trying to prove that somehow I was still acceptable and still worthy, at least on some level. I guess I felt like if I had rejected the plan God had for my life, that maybe God would reject me. Years went by. (laughs) And I finally came back around to that verse in Jeremiah. And I realized something I had missed. It says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans, plural. Somehow I had gotten caught up in the idea that God only had one plan for me. So that if I, I don't know, made a mistake or said no or did something stupid, that it was finished, over, ruined for all time. This was an amazing discovery for me. It opened up so many possibilities that God had plans for me. So if I did say no or did do something stupid or did make a mistake, that God would adjust my plans. Like some big, amazing, omniscient GPS system, God recalculates every time we humans do something wrong. And I discovered something else. God is even more amazing and incredible and wise and... and just, I, can't, I can't think of more words, but you get it, than I even understood before. Because God doesn't do this recalculating thing just for me. God does it for every single human being on the planet. Boy, am I grateful. So Laura was comforted to realize that whether we, by intentional design, by saying no, or just by making the mistakes that we make, that there isn't one plan of God that we can just destroy and then everything gets scrapped. God is recalculating. I can only imagine how God must have to chase after me hour by hour, recalculating, recalculating, And then the idea that God's doing it with each one of us all the time, too, is just an amazing thing to consider. 
And while I take comfort from that understanding, it still leaves me with some questions. How can I know what God's plan is for me? So maybe God doesn't have to recalculate so much. So that I can have some understanding in this given moment, what am I to do and how can I live more faithfully, not only to please God, but so that my life can have meaning and joy and hope in those that I live with. Next week, I want to talk to you about God's purpose. Because I want to suggest to you that thinking about God's plan is helpful. But for me, thinking about God's purpose for our life is what has changed my personal faith journey. So listen next week. Come back next week. But before I leave this, I do have a couple things I want to say about God's plan. The first is simply this. We need to quit relying on our own intuition only when we talk about God's plan. Too many times in my own life and in the lives that I think I see of other people, what we end up doing is saying it's God's plan with what we're really doing is saying this is what we want God to do. And it comes from our gut or from our desires or from our own thinking but it's not informed with the things that God gave us to be able to have greater discernment about such issues. In the scripture, in addition to realizing this about plans, plural, not plan, also once Jeremiah says this to God's people, he then says this, when you search for me, you will find me. When you call upon me and pray to me, I will hear you. I will let you find me, says the Lord. The point is is that after Jeremiah says these words, the intent was that for those 70 years, God's people were engaged in active discernment. They weren't just trying to, well, I wonder what's going on. And for us, God has given us tools to use in discerning God's plan and purpose in our life. Pray. It is shocking to me to consider how many times I'm ready and I hear others ready to pronounce what God's plan is and they haven't been talking to God. It's like, I want to tell you what Mark's plan is for you. I haven't talked to Mark, but I'm sure this is what Mark means. Don't you think if I want to know what Mark's plan for you is, Mark and I ought to have some conversation? We ought to be having the ability to relate to each other so that I can reflect what I've heard from Mark and not just what I think Mark wants. Same is true for God. We've got to pray to the level to which we are listening to God before we can be certain or even courageous enough to trust to follow what we hope is God's plan. We need to read Scripture. I know it's tough. I get it. That's why we don't just do it by ourselves. I'm all about big advocate, personal Bible reading. Don't walk out here saying, Pastor Rick, I should never read my Bible by myself. I'm not saying that. But if you are just using yourself alone as your own biblical scholar and theologian, we're called to share this in communities so I can hear what you have to say and you hear what I have to say. And in the discernment, we both learn and grow. 
But are you ready to talk about what God's plan is for your life and not having even read the scriptures to understand how God works or works with you? We're called to surround ourselves with Christians whom we respect and are living lives with integrity and intentionality, the kind that we want for our own life. I'm just going to say this, and God, I hope you hear me. Not all Christians think the same, right? It's not about me telling you which ones are wrong or right. It's not about me saying, so I'm better than they or they're better than me. It's about, here's the simple truth. I want to surround myself with Christians who are living the kind of life I believe God is calling me to live. So simply to surround myself with Christians without vetting that other part of the answer is going to put myself into jeopardy. I want to surround myself with Christians who understand Christ and are seeking to live out faith in the way that I believe God is asking me to be a part of. It's why I'm here, not in some other church. It's not because we're better. It's just because this is, this is the family that I want to be a part of, that I believe God has asked me to be a part of. And I was beginning to think about God's plan without consulting with my brothers and sisters of the faith. Of course not. We've got to learn, like they did long ago, to continue to seek and listen to what God has to say what God is, and feel what God is doing in our lives so we can begin to have some understanding about God's agenda, not our own. Second, I think our job is to encourage others to discern God's plan for them rather than me tell you what God's plan is for you. I can offer to you the best of my prayers and my hopes, but the truth is, when I'm doing my best work as a disciple of Jesus, I'm not making you follow and live off my discipleship. I'm helping you grow in yours. So I'm not, I'm not going to accept Except when someone says to me, my brother is mentally impaired so that I could be a better man. I don't think God had anything to do with the decisions that were made that day that made Jim's journey what it is. But I think God was there. And I will tell you flat out true, I'm a better man for having my brother than if I would never would have had my brother. It's not the same thing as saying that he's his way so that I could be my way. And I don't want to walk into the life situation of someone else and arrogantly act like I can tell them what God's plan is for them. What I want to do is give them the encouragement to know that even in the midst of the worst moments of their life, God is with them, and I'm going to stay with you, not giving you answers, but giving you love and support and Christian friendship, and together we will work to see where God is taking us from this place to the next. Do you understand how that's different? So we go to those who are grieving and hurting and broken and discouraged and have no sense of hope and say to them, I'm going to sit with you, I'm going to be with you, I'm going to pray with you, and together we're going to figure this out.
We have to live in the confidence of this simple, powerful truth. We are followers of the living Lord Jesus Christ, who came into the world to teach us how to live, and by his own actions win for us the possibility and the ability for us to know that we live surrounded by an eternal, limitless gift of grace. And that grace is seeking to heal us, to redeem us, to guide us, to forgive us in every moment. And that I will believe long after I am dead and gone. And then I want to live in that purpose, which we're going to talk about next week. But right now I want to invite each one of you in this room. So know that in the next few minutes, I'm going to invite you to come forward and to receive the sacrament of Holy Communion, which for us is not the pre-game snack. We believe in our full being that when we come forward, or if it's brought to you in your seats, whatever, when we receive these elements, when we take the bread and dip it in the cup, we are receiving the promise and the experience of this grace that you cannot experience anywhere else. This is a true statement. And if you're watching online right now, or if you're watching this message later in the week, which a number of people are, I want to encourage you in this very moment, stop where you are and take this moment to dedicate yourself to this living Lord. Turn over who you are and what you're worried about and what you hope for. And rather than assuming what's God's plan and what isn't God's plan, just trust in this moment God is with you. Begin to seek and discern hourly, daily, where God has taken you. For this is a moment of commitment. And this is a moment of saying, even if I don't know the specifics of God's plan, I want to know God. I want to be closer to Christ. It begins here, right now. And in that spirit, I invite you not only to come into this communion, but to join with me in a word of prayer. Gracious and loving God. Sometimes I think I really want to know what your plan is, and on other days I'm pretty glad I don't. It gives me more wiggle room. But as much as I keep trying to discern it and understand it for myself, I pray that you'll help me give a witness to others, not about some ability I have to tell them what God needs them to do, rather to invite them also into relationship with you and with me in faith. As we come forward to receive communion, as we step forward deeper into this prayer, as we take this moment, we pray that you'll be upon each person right now who's lifting their life to you. That we'll have the assurance of your presence and from that truth step forward into the tomorrows to come. Be with us and bless us to be the blessings you've always intended us to be, recalculating all the while and offering us a future of grace and hope. We pray this in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.